Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's nice to be here again. I couldn't help but think when I looked at the temperature and got out of my car this morning, uh, I thought about my brother <laughs> and Heidi, of course your pastor, uh, and where he might be and, uh, and how he will be spending the day probably on the beach and 85 degrees and whatever it is. <laughs> oh, good for him. Good for them. Um, when I think of the, the Christian life, uh, there's two concepts that I, um, that I think about that are held in tension. On the one hand, you have this message that I'm loved and accepted by God just the way I am. And on the other hand, you have, I'm called to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. How we live our life matters. These two are, are a bit different, but I believe you really need both of them for the Christian life to be alive. If you some, somehow only emphasize and think what's important is being a disciple, without, and you kind of forget about the grace of God, the result is usually that you're going to maybe try to do a good job, but you might get pretty self-righteous, or you might be in utter despair at feeling like you've really failed. And if you forget about being a disciple and you seem to only emphasize, well, I'm a child of God and I'm loved and accepted just the way I am, well, without the discipleship, I think you tend to just kind of, you just kind of think, you kind of forget about both of them. And that daily relationship or, or the, seems to just have everything fade. I think they both are important and they both go together. Our lesson today, I think, really emphasizes the, uh, uh, the, on the hand of the idea of discipleship. As uh, it was read and, and talked about, um, Jesus goes into the wilderness uh, driven by um, the Spirit of God and 40 days was tested by Satan. It says that Jesus fasted and was hungry. Uh, this was not un uncommon for prophets or earnest men, uh, men and women searching for God or wanting more clarity of God or their own life to go into the stark and quiet desert and spend some time there. All f right before Jesus went in, it's important to know that all Gospels speak about J Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and he was there was an encounter uh, with God. The, the, there was a voice, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Many scholars believe this was, was, a, was a pivotal point in Jesus' life. It was, it was, a, it was a beginning, it was an encounter with God. Uh, perhaps before he'd had one, but this was, uh, was uh, outstanding in that way. And it drove him into, he knew in a sense that his mission uh, was beginning. And it speaks about these three. He fasted and prayed, I'm sure. But uh, these questions from Satan, if you are the son of God, turn stones into bread. If you're the son of God, jump, jump down from the temple. Make God save you. Call out the angels. If you're the son of God, you can have the whole world and kingdoms if you bow down to me. It would seem to me that, uh, and there's a lot of nuances on, on these different temptations, but 
it seems a real theme here is, Jesus, you don't have to suffer. Do a miracle, get wealthy, be popular, call out the angels if you get in trouble, but you don't have to suffer. In many ways, it's like you don't really need to be human because to be human means to die. Earlier in my life, uh, for most of my life, I, this passage really hasn't lived for me. I, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, doesn't Jesus know everything? He already knows his mission. He's God. So um, to be tempted by, by Satan, that doesn't didn't make so much sense to me. It's kind of like child's play for Jesus, almost like. If I was going to have a one-on-one with Michael Jordan, we would know who would be winning that. Um, it's not a fair fight kind of. Um, can Jesus be tempted? Did he even struggle in the desert? What's helped me, I think it adds more power for me to this story to take seriously Jesus' humanity. We do confess that Jesus came to the human race. We just celebrated Christmas. I mean, he was born to Mary. We say that Jesus was true God and true man. It seems many times it's easy to, to just go to his divinity and the humanity just kind of disappears. But, and obviously this is, it's a little bit uh, complex at how we are to understand that. One thing I looked at is in Philippians. I, I, I pondered what Paul said. Um, in this wonderful passage talking about Jesus, and he emptied himself. Himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And I, I was thinking, what does it mean for Jesus to have emptied himself? He came from God. Um, that obviously suggests to me that there's a process that was going on. I mean, we know the, the story of Jesus at 12-year-old in the temple, you know, where he, his parents kind of lose track of him. And it ends with saying, and Jesus grew in favor and wisdom of God. There's a growing process. and I, So I'm thinking as a man that there was a process. To me, this story becomes more powerful when I think of Jesus as struggling with what is ahead. And that's not unique. We know at the Garden of Gethsemane, great drops of blood. There was times when he was really struggling with, uh, with life. I'm sure in the desert, Jesus was also praying. We, 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 that's established, that, that Jesus many times would go into the hills and pray for, for, for many hours. In human form, prayer with God can certainly be an encounter. You know, my dad, he's a human. He's a human man. <laughs> At 22 years old in 1942, uh, and we all know World War II was going on at that time, he got rejected by the Army. Uh, he had been in a car accident as a high school uh, student, hurt his back, and they determined that he would not be accepted. And his life seemed, uh, well, his future was, it was a difficult time for him for those days. 
He talks about how one night in his college house, he was called at some time in the morning, he estimates two in the morning, up to an upper room. And he says, there, I, he said, I was in the presence of God. I didn't see anything. I don't know how long I was up there, 30 minutes, two hours, I don't know. I didn't say anything. I didn't hear anything spoken. But then he talks about the conversation that was there that he had. It's kind of interesting. It was, it was a mystical experiences. He went back, went to sleep, and the next morning he, he felt, he, he remembered it clearly and was called into the ministry. Um, and that's, people have those experiences. I mean, they're documented in certain places. He's 99 years old now. He still talks about it uh, and wants uh, it written down now. Humans can encounter, uh, have encounters with the holy in prayer. I like to think of Jesus in the wilderness. After he was baptized, he's coming. And, you know, he was, he was a smart guy. I mean, he knew the, the, the Jewish leaders uh, had a certain control over the gospel or over, over the scriptures that, that wasn't quite what he was understanding God's call to be. He understood the, of the, the Romans, um, you know, any, any thought of, an, of another Messiah with a crowd or, or, or a zealot was going to be crushed easily. He knew that the, the, the Jewish, there were some Jewish elders and the Romans who were profiting from the temple because it was a moneymaker. He knew the landless. He had a lot to think about. I, I, I'd like to think of him in the wilderness. Maybe that's how he got to know God is Abba, Abba Father. Because if my dad can have an encounter, certainly Jesus the man could be in a mystical encounter and communion with God, knowing God and also sensing his mission. And at the same time in the wilderness you have Satan saying, no, that's not how to be a son of God. You don't really have to suffer and offering a lot of other suggestions. So I like the idea of Jesus struggling with this. And in the end, he says, be gone, Satan. I will worship God alone. I will be God's servant. And my actions will tell the world what God is like. I'm ready for God's work to work through me and in me even to death. And, and Jesus comes out of the desert and he wants to get to know fishermen and shepherds and common people. He wants to go get to know tax collectors and sinners and he eats with them. He wants to know, get to know Pharisees and Sadducees and he eats with them and challenges them. He teaches and he heals I'm drawn to the earthly Jesus, who I like to think as much human as possible and still being the Son of God, however that works. Because with that, I feel like he knows me. And he knows us. He knows this world. And in that, he calls us to follow him. Ultimately, the earthly Jesus would lead to the cross, would be led to the cross, suffering, experiencing death as a human, but his death and resurrection would seal God's message to us that we have, I am loved and accepted and forgiven by God, believe the good news. But on the other hand, he continues to call the risen Christ 
calls, but, it, it, but it, to me it comes the, from the power and direction of the earthly Jesus with his words and actions and teachings. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was hungry and you gave me food. As you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. You are the salt of the earth. I am a stranger and you welcomed me. Jesus showed and embodied the heart of God and tells us follow, to follow him. And that's our call. You know, a few decades ago, that's a while ago now, a few decades ago, yeah, a good friend of mine uh, got off course. He got off track. And after he was repairing relationships that he had damaged and making amends from people that he had hurt and was thinking deeply about what had happened and trying to get back on track, he explained it to me this way. He said, I pictured, I always pictured my life, or I picture my life on a, on a sailboat, and I'm going in the direction of the far shore, and on that far shore in this direction is my Christian faith, my values, the kind of person I am, we're all, it's all moving in that direction. But he said there's a phrase that you've heard, the fog of war, and that speaks about when you're in the middle of it, it's confusing, it's hard to know exactly where you're going and, and, and maybe what you're doing. And he says, it's like that kind of in life, and I experienced that. It's like my, I was in the, in the sailboat, I couldn't see the far shore. I mean, it's always kind of foggy, but I ended off getting off, getting off track, and I didn't know it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see clearly what was happening. I can now, but I realized I wasn't moving to that distant shore of, of who I am and my values and faith. I got off track. You know, when we consider our walk with Jesus, our life with God, I know it's important for us to, to just know and accept the fact that we're certainly not going to do this perfectly. And... Uh, and the voices and say, you know, in, in the passage we had of trying to, to move Jesus off the course, we certainly have those, those forces in our lives, whether it's culture or uh, our, our own insecurities that wish to call us off track. Um, sometimes it's, it's a lack of compassion. Uh, some things I've heard... <laughs> If you are a child of God, as long as you believe, it's okay to hate other people. It's almost like a, I've heard that. If you're a child of God and you're, and you're successful, that means God blesses you, so poor people, that means God doesn't bless them. I've heard that too. I mean, there's ways, there's messages that we can that can really bring us off track. Because I really think when we're talking about compassion, and, and Jesus' call, we need to be able to put ourselves in the shoes of others. And also, we need to walk in our own. What can help us? And I'm just going to spend a little, not much time here, but uh, um, some suggestions when we're talking about this side, I am called to be a follower of Jesus and a disciple. Certainly, there's community things and, um, and in, in the church, that's the purpose here. How can we keep on a track? What can cause us to continue to, 
to, to have ministry invo involve our, our, ourselves in the lives of other people in love. But there's also things we can do just by ourselves. And, and I just want to mention four things. Suggestions. Um, one, finding a sanctuary. And, of course, we call this a sanctuary, and it is. But maybe there's a room in your house, or the Boundary Waters canoe area, or a cabin, or a walk by a river, or, a, or your backyard. In other words, is there a place where, on a regular basis, you can go that you know it's quiet, it's perhaps beautiful, but you can reflect on who you are and how you're doing and how your life is going, and just maybe rest uh, in that. The second is journaling. I, I found this helpful. You get a new book, you know, that's blank, and maybe for a year you fill it a few days a week, maybe more, maybe less, but it's a time where you can sit down and, and analyze and, and reflect on what happened yesterday. Why did I say that? Uh, was that helpful? Or it may can be thinking about the future of, there's something that I would like to do, I don't know how to do it, but I feel like in some ways of serving others, I want to get involved in something, whether it's the food shelf over here or Habitat for Humanity there or, uh, or something else. So you're writing down and being trying to be reflective of your life as a follower. Bible reading, of course, that's a standard. Uh, there's community things, there's Bible studies. Um, but there's also another approach. My, my, I have a daughter-in-law, Norma, who, who likes Lectio Divina. It comes from the Catholic tradition. And, and what this is is praying with the Bible. She describes it. This is something totally different. So by herself, again, she finds just a short passage. Um, she reads it and asks the question, what is this passage saying that everybody would understand? She writes it down and, and thinks about it. And next... She reads the same passage again, and she asks the question, what is this passage saying to me right now, today? And she tries to answer that and think about it. And then, what do I wish to pray to God about this passage? And then she reads it again, what is this passage asking me to do or to change? And trying to answer that. And I guess the last uh, prayer again, the standard. Um, and I guess all of these, I'm suggesting that there's a regularity, which you may have on these. But I think the walk, uh, our, our walk with Jesus, is um, a re there's a regular things we can do to help us keep on track. This friend of mine that I, I referred to, um, as he was out of this kind of uh, this, this difficulty and, and uh getting off track in his life, he developed a singing prayer as he commuted to work. He's a singer. Um, and out of A Lord of All Hopefulness, you probably know this song, it goes through the day, you know, in the morning, at noon, evening. He added four other verses uh, of, of, of calling and failing and dying um, so it's, been, it's almost through, the, through the, the day, but also he's through his whole life. And he, would, he had a commute of 30 to 40 minutes to the South Metro, 
Um, and he said, in, in 10 years, I never missed, uh, I never missed uh, a morning singing and praying the whole way. Um, obviously, there's many different ways of praying. Some people like written prayers. Some just like to make it up. But, but it's another way of, of reflecting about your life and asking God to help you. To conclude, I, when I think of these two of the Christian faith again, um, when we're talking about discipleship, we should never be thinking that this is somehow to impress others or to earn God's love. <laughs> and that's not what it's about because we always need to know that we are loved and accepted by God as a gift and we're never going to earn that. We just need to embrace it. But we are called to be followers and I truly think that two of these in the Christian life go together and must go together for our, our own joy, I believe. Amen.